I have a story to tell that it could potentially get me into some trouble, so I'm going to leave out any clearly identifying details in the hopes it stays anonymous enough that there won't be any blowback. What I will say is this. Many years ago, I worked as a detective for the state police in a state where there are several Native American reservations. Often, we would get called to assist the reservation police on cases that were too complicated for them to solve with their limited resources. As with most things on the reservation, their police forces are often underfunded and limited staffed. This particular case was what appeared to be a homicide. A guy from the reservation, one that none of the neighbors particularly liked, was found evidently beaten to death out in the middle of an otherwise empty field. He was wearing sweats and a t-shirt, no shoes, and looked like he had been pulled right off the couch, except for the fact that the bottoms of his feet were so worn out. He had been running for a long time, before whatever happened out there happened. That was the only strange thing about this case, though. It had rained earlier in the day, and we were able to find his footprints in the mud several places leading from his house to the open area where his body was found. The back door of his house was wide open when we got there, and his barefooted tracks were in the mud right from the start. He hadn't been pulled off the couch. He was chased off the couch. Only, there was only one set of human footprints. I repeat, only one human set of tracks. At several points along the way, we also found what appeared to be large deer tracks running alongside his. When I say large deer tracks, I don't mean large like an elk. I mean large like a human-sized foot, but hooved like a deer. These tracks were also in the front yard, though. In fact, right by the living room window, which had been shattered from the outside. The general consensus among most of the investigators was that someone had come to settle a score with him, and, since it was close to Halloween, the assumption was that they had been wearing some kind of costume to freak him out. It was his brother who told me there was another explanation, but once you hear it, you understand why I never bothered to present it to my co-workers as a possibility. It's absolutely crazy sounding, but my personal belief is that it is true. You see, this guy had been poaching for as long as he had been old enough to hold a gun. He didn't have a lot of respect for wildlife or game laws and used some pretty unethical hunting practices, like baiting and spotlighting deer while out on his hunts. He told his brother that one night he was out trying to bait a buck in when he came face to face with a wendigo, but somehow managed to escape. The problem with escaping a wendigo, though, is that according to folklore, you never really do. Once a Wendigo has set its sights on you, it doesn't give up. This guy had about made himself crazy over the last few months, telling his brother about how this Wendigo was following him around. He quit his job over it when the thing kept showing up at work. He'd even stopped leaving the house for the most part, and had been pretty close to a hermit status at the time he was killed. The brother's thoughts was that the Wendigo got tired of waiting for the guy to come back out of his house and took matters into its own hands, breaking out the front window and running the guy out the back door. I know what you're thinking. The guy was a kook afraid of a Wendigo. The proof for me is in what was found in the broken glass of that broken window. Not only was there blood and short deer hairs all cut up in the glass, 
but at one place in the shattered remains of the glass, there was a thin strip of satin, the exact kind you pull off a deer's antlers. This guy messed around poaching animals under unfair and horrifying circumstances, and in the end, he got exactly what he deserved in return. In the winter of 2002, I was a police officer in Athens, Ohio, home of Ohio University. As any cop in a small college town will tell you, Thursday nights can get a little wild. Most of the kids leave campus on Friday night to head home and visit their parents. So Thursday nights rain as party nights on campuses. I want to say it was mid-December and the last Thursday before finals week and subsequent Christmas break making it the wildest Thursday night of the year. Ohio University is home to four fraternities and three sororities. Needless to say, most of our Thursday night calls, most of our Thursday night calls centered around the inhabitants of one of the more popular frat houses. In recent months, most of our calls to that fraternity have been centered around a series of practical jokes played on the elderly man who lived across the alley. He had made a few noise complaints, and it had created a sort of an ongoing battle between him and the fraternity. I personally had been called out at least a half dozen times to deal with these issues, and I can't even begin to guess how many other officers had been sent to deal with the same stuff on their shifts. The old guy's name was Eugene, and it would be unfair of me to make him out as some sweet, innocent man, fallen victim to the immaturity of boys that lived in the frat house. Eugene was a troublemaker, too, and had a rap sheet as long as my arm from a lifetime of petty crime, and he certainly got his own blows in during the dispute. Between the fraternity poisoning Eugene's garden with Roundup and Eugene hitting the back windows of their house with a pellet gun, there were at least a dozen other instances of back-and-forth jabs that had turned from humorous to downright uncivil over time. A few weeks before the night in question, though, the battle came to an abrupt end when Eugene suffered a heart attack and died watching a football game at his sister's house. The whole street had been quiet since he left, and somewhat ironically, the fraternity had held off their partying for a few weeks out of respect for Eugene. It seemed like a worthless gesture, since what he really would have liked was for the partying to let up while he was alive. But myself and the other officers appreciated a few weeks of quiet patrols. I knew they wouldn't skip the Friday before finals, though, so I was ready to handle some more complaints when I checked into work that night. It wasn't long before I got the first call out to the fraternity. Not by a neighbor reporting noise, though. This call from the boys at the frat house themselves. When I got there, they told me they'd been setting up for a party, and someone had stolen a keg off the back porch. I chalked it up to a college prank and told them the keg would likely resurface later, or at another frat party. They weren't happy with me, but they couldn't argue. They knew by now how these things worked. I got back into my car and answered a couple more calls, a domestic dispute across town, and a Christmas tree that had caught fire. Then I was getting ready to park and wait for my next interaction. I got dispatched back to the fraternity a second time. Again, the call came from the frat boys themselves. When I got there, Everyone was huddled in the living room, toward the front of the house. The back door, which faced the alley, had been blown right off its hinges and was laying flat on the floor in the kitchen. The door facing and all was still attached. 
I asked what happened, but nobody seemed to really know. They were hanging out and drinking, they said, when suddenly the whole thing flew into the house like a gust of wind had hit it, but there hadn't been any strong winds. The streamers on the back porch were still undisturbed. I looked at the door and there was no evidence that it had been kicked in. It was really puzzling to me. It was really puzzling, and I was beginning to wonder if the partiers weren't playing a prank on me. It was about that time that someone who was standing and looking out the hole where the back door used to be noticed someone walking in Eugene's backyard. I turned and looked just in time to catch it too. It was clearly a person hunched over and sneaking behind the old shed behind Eugene's place, so I called out for them to stop. I knew nobody was supposed to be over there. I talked to Eugene's sister just the day before, and she told me she wasn't planning to start cleaning the house until after Christmas passed. The figure never came back, though, nor did they emerge from the other side. I decided to head over and have a look. The snow had been falling on a few separate occasions since Eugene passed, and his backyard was blanketed in snow. There weren't even squirrel tracks anywhere to be seen, and certainly not adult human footprints either. There was no person hiding behind the shed and there was no indication that anyone had been over there at all. I shrugged it off, thinking maybe me and the witness both had been seeing things, shadows from all the Christmas lights and trees around the area. But as I turned with my flashlight, I caught a glimpse of something through the window of the shed. There in the floor, in the middle of that locked shed, sat the stolen keg from earlier. I knew it was the same keg, because their fraternity name was written in black marker on the side of it when they put it on reserve. I never told the kids. I just left it there and let Eugene have the last word. Hi, Donovan. I've really been loving your channel. I always thought there were crazy things happening behind the scenes of normal life. And I love that so many people are willing to contribute here. When I was in college in the Washington, D.C. area, I worked part-time at a country club. It was nice to have extra cash, but I also got golfing privileges with the job. One night we were closing up, which entailed cleaning the last few things and setting things out for the morning. I was working in the dining room and looking out the window. Outside the room we worked in was a small hill that overlooked a golf course. I saw that my coworker had apparently finished what he was doing and was out there messing around with a club at the top of the hill. The window was open and I heard him calling down and asking us to come look because he thought he was seeing things. There were around four or five of us that night and we climbed up the hill and looked off down the course. It was a typical clear summer night with a fair number of stars out, but one of the stars looked too close and it was moving. At first we figured it must have been a plane, but it was changing directions in a way too extreme of a fashion. It would hover and then dart all the way across our field of view. We couldn't tell how far away it was, and we couldn't rationalize how any conventional aircraft could do what we were seeing. After watching it for a good five minutes or so, we convinced ourselves that maybe it was just some kind of optical illusion or something. We left the hill and finished up closing. When we were done, we went up the hill again to see if it was still there. It was. And now it was either brighter or it was closer. At that point, we decided we wanted to stick around to watch this thing. A couple of the people that we were with went inside to get food for us, and the rest of us just sat down on the hill and watched. 
For another 15 minutes or so, we watched this thing go from side to side across the sky, and then it hovered in place. And we all agreed it seemed like it was getting closer. At around the time our friends came back, the light changed. It seemed like it was spiraling. It was definitely getting closer. It seemed to be coming toward the country club. But then, it suddenly stopped in midair. Its lights got bigger and bigger. It very rapidly appeared to be losing altitude, and then again it just stopped, switching directions completely and then accelerating faster than anything I've ever seen in the complete opposite direction. We were mesmerized. We ate our food, and when we were done, for some crazy reason we decided to start running toward it to see if we could get a better look. We ran down the hill and up the fairway toward the light. It veered over the woods alongside the course, and we ran after it. At this point, we were following it, and the woods were lit up enough from the glow that you didn't need to worry about running into the trees. We were all excited and yelling about what it could be, but I think that was mainly to cover up the fact that we were all actually really nervous, but no one wanted to admit it. All of a sudden, it stopped and zoomed down sort of above us. Not directly, but enough to really freak us out. And then it just hovered there. It was low enough now that we could see these five red circles on the bottom. There were two circles sitting above three others, like in a trapezoid shape. It was making a loud sort of thrusting sound. After it hovered there for a few minutes, the light shut off and it went completely silent. We could still see the shape of where it was, like a pitch black darkness above us. And then after a few more minutes of just hovering there, it zoomed off over the horizon with these five red lights at the rear. It flew like a rock from a slingshot. It was over the horizon in just a few seconds. In the dark, it looked like a short, fat triangle. And then there was nothing. We were all gasping from running. While we were standing there trying to make sense of it all, all of a sudden these two fighter jets flew over at extremely low altitude, right over our heads. About three minutes later, we all saw multiple military jets and helicopters traveling in the same direction the lights had disappeared. At that point, we all just silently agreed to go back to the club. Of course, we never saw anything mentioned on the news or anything like that. I've thought about it often over the years. I still keep in touch with a couple of the people that I was with that night, and we all have the same memory of what happened. I doubt we'll ever get any satisfying answers about all the covert stuff that must be going on out there. But I kind of want to see something like that again. I'm always checking out the night sky, just in case. I saw something out in Buzzards Bay in Massachusetts that really freaked me out. My buddy and I were out fishing there last Sunday, and we saw something break the surface about 20 feet away from us. He said, dolphin. I said, nah, it's a whale. But then it got closer and we got another look. It was a weird blue-green color, and when it rose up a little, it looked like it had a hump on its back. But it was shimmery, and not the color of a whale or a dolphin. A brighter color, like those fancy tropical fish you can buy. So we were thinking that it was some sort of floating trash that was reflecting the light. I don't know, just bobbing up from the current or something. But the weird thing was, it kept getting closer to us, way faster than the current would bring it. Then it stopped. It disappeared for a few minutes, and I was guessing that it had sunk. A few minutes later, we're just chilling, kicking back with our rods, 
and the strangest things started happening. The water began to swirl around us, maybe in a 15-foot perimeter with us in the middle, little waves cresting and going in a circle around us. I never saw anything like it, and neither had my buddy, because he sat right up saying, what the hell? At first I laughed because he's this big guy and he looked a little nervous. While I was thinking there had to be a rational explanation, like we were caught in a school with blue fish or something. But it started getting closer, like the circle was closing in on us. The waves going around us seemed like they were getting taller. Not really tall, but rising enough to make me put down my rod and grab the side of the boat. Now, my boat ain't big. It's a 16-footer. But the force from whatever this was started making the boat swivel too. We weren't spinning fast or anything, but we were doing a circle. By then, we were both like, what the hell is going on here? And I said, you want to get out of here? And he said, yeah. So, I tried to fire up the motor, which is a 60-horsepower Yamaha four-stroke that I just got a year ago. That thing's never given me any trouble. But it wouldn't start. I mean, completely dead. The water was choppy and the boat had started rocking a little because the waves were spinning us faster around. I just gave up on the motor after about eight tries, because I was freaking out now too. We just needed to move now. I grabbed an oar, and he grabbed the other one, and we paddled right out of that spinning circle. I was pretty relieved, because I had this terrible fear that the waves were going to get higher and trap us in. Yeah, I know that sounds ridiculous, but you had to be there. We waited a few minutes, and couldn't even see the whirlpool thing anymore. And my buddy said, you want to go in? I'm thinking that's a long way to paddle. And pretty soon someone's going to come by. It's a well-traveled area. And they could give us a tow. And the weirdness had disappeared, right? So I just said, let's wait. And we cast out our lines again. It was just like two minutes later that something big took the bait. And my rod bent almost double. I'm thinking it's a striper. You know, it was only five years ago when that fella caught a 65-pound striper right here in Buzzard's Bay. Whatever it was, it was wicked big. I was afraid if I didn't tire out, my rod was going to snap. So I let it run a bit, then reeled it in some. I did that a few times. It started going soft, getting tired. So I took up a lot of slack all at once, pulling that sucker in right quick before it caught a second wind. It got closer and closer, and the damnest thing started happening. The whirlpool thing was back circling around the boat. I was like, screw this. I'm still getting my fish. So I just kept pulling it in. But then suddenly, I could see what I'd caught. I saw it through the water about six feet down. It was no damn fish. This thing had a bunch of legs like an octopus. Maybe not eight. I wasn't stopping to count, but more than four, almost like tentacles. And it was this iridescent color between blue and green. The body wasn't round either. It was long and skinny and tapered on one end. I yelled at my buddy to get his camera ready. I needed him to get a picture as soon as I brought the thing up because I could already tell this was going to be one of those times no one will believe you unless you got a picture. So he grabs his phone and leans over the side a bit. Then he sees it and says, what in the hell is that? As soon as he says that, the thing rolls over and I can suddenly see its head. I couldn't believe it, even though it was right in front of me. This thing had a face. Not a human face, but not a reptile face either. Like a human-reptile crossbreed. The only reference I can think of is the creature from the Black Lagoon. 
except it had all these crazy tentacle legs. The thing was looking right at me with these big flat black eyes and I froze. I stopped pulling. I didn't want this thing any closer. No way. But I yelled to my buddy, take a picture through the water now. As soon as I shouted, one of the legs came right up and smacked hard into the side of the boat, right next to where my friend's leaning over. I swear I thought this thing was going to grab a hold of him. He stumbled back, dropping his phone and making us rock so hard I thought we were going to capsize. That's when I let my rod go, crouching down and hanging on with both hands, because no way did I want to be in the water with that thing. The boat steadied, so I leaned over to look over the edge just a little. I couldn't see it anymore. It must have dove down once I let the rod go. But I decided to cut the line. My buddy yelled, What the hell are you doing? But man, that thing looked meaner than an eel and must have weighed 80 or 90 pounds. Just judging from its creepy face and the way it moved, it seemed to have intelligence. I wasn't going to play around with it. That was some sort of supernatural something, and I didn't want to mess with it. Anyway, the whirlpool around us was gone now too, so maybe it created that somehow. Or maybe there was more of them around us. Geez, that's a scary thought. Okay, and another weird thing is, when I tried to fire up the motor a minute later, it worked. It cranked up on the second try. Maybe a coincidence. Well, that's it. If anyone else has seen anything weird out there in Buzzards Bay, I would like to hear about it.